I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. We have so much to cover today, and there's no way that we're going to get it all in, but we're going to do our best. Uh, there is some phenomenally exciting news, and, uh, and it has to do with our interview today. And I cannot wait to share this, this amazing, mind-blowing news with you. But I am going to wait just a little bit because I want to do a little bit of prep work before we get there. Um, this show is called Outside the Walls. You know that because you just heard the intro. Uh, and if you've listened for any length of time, you know why the show is called that. But just in case you've forgotten or in case you have not yet heard this explanation, uh, there's a, a double meaning and a reason that we have taken that name for the show. Uh, the first reason is this. The church must be missional. We have to go outside of our walls. Uh, in fact, right and properly, when we talk about the church, when we talk about our parish, we're not talking about the building. The building is the the, the space that we have consecrated for our sacred worship uh, and where the parish gathers. But the parish is the boundaries, the, the geographic boundaries uh, that surround that building and that all of the people who live within those boundaries are placed under the, the care of that priest. He is their, their spiritual father. He's responsible to everyone who lives in those boundaries, Catholic or not. And, and so while you might be able to register at another parish and attend another parish, you are right and properly, canonically, uh, you're a member of the parish where you are, which means that you don't have to register. You just, you, you go, and it's all right for you to do that. Um, s- secondly, so the first is that we have to be missional. The, the, the church understands itself as being outside the walls. We gather inside the walls for our worship, but then we go outside the walls to live out that which we are empowered to do by the Eucharist, right? It's the source and the summit of our faith. It's the, the, the Eucharist is the place where we get our strength and the place that we then turn our attention back toward. But in the meantime, we take that. We take that power of the Eucharist and we go outside the walls. Now, the second meaning of the name that we've taken is that while we are missional, we also have to be grounded in our faith. Uh, And I think of St. Paul outside the walls, that beautiful church in, in Rome that has all of the mosaics uh, of all the popes that we've ever had lining the, the ceiling of this church. And so that church, by walking into it and looking at all those beautiful mosaics, you get a sense for our heritage and for our history, and there's, there's a, a foundation there. And so, yes, we have to be missional, but we also have to be grounded. So we go outside the walls, and then we also want to evoke that that picture of St. Paul outside the walls. And, and so that's the, the meaning of the show name. And so with that background information in mind, you could imagine that I really like St. Paul. Uh, I, I like his writings. I like the theology that he presents uh, for us, the way that he reveals to us something really foundational uh, about evangelism. And this is a show for missionary disciples and if you are not a missionary disciple yet, you will be, because that's what we're called to. We are called to receive the gift of the gospel and then 
as we have freely received, we then freely give. And we do that by living out a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, living according to the mantle and the charism that's been given to us through the sacraments, through it by virtue of our baptism, in light of our confirmation, to then live a life that is impacted by our faith. Now, as I said earlier, there's a lot to get in today, and so we're going to actually do our reading from Scripture right up here at the front, because we're going to talk about a brand new book. We do that a lot, but we have not yet talked about a brand new book like this, because uh, coming out in March is a brand new book posthumously published from Pope St. John Paul II. That's right. It's I mind-blowing. It's so exciting. Uh, there was recently, a couple of years ago, there was a, a manuscript discovered, uh, and it was published first in Polish and then in uh, in Italian, and now finally it's going to be published in English in just about a month's time. We're going to be talking with the um, the publisher who has brought that to fruition and is bringing us this new book. Uh, and so we're going to go ahead and start um, by reading this passage out of the book of Acts about the Apostle Paul in Athens. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men. Nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move, and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. That reading comes from the book of Acts, and we're going to spend the rest of today's show focused on that passage, because this is the passage that Pope St. John Paul II has written about uh, and is going to be published next month in this new book, Teachings for an Unbelieving World. It's going to be available on Ave Maria Press. We're going to be talking with Jamie Stewart-Wolf, who is the editor who has brought that uh, to fruition and is going to be presenting it to us here on the show and then soon in print. So don't go anywhere. This is a fantastic interview that you're going to want to be a part of. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls, and there is, oh, so much more right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. 
And every once in a while, you know, sometimes we have the show planned out long in advance and we know what we're going to talk about. And we, we have uh, people on the calendar and the day comes and everything works smoothly. And then there are some weeks like this week where the deadline is approaching and I have no one. And I just, you know, so far the Holy Spirit's been really good to me because always there's this thing that pops up that catches my interest that is just so enthralling that I have to share it with you. And, and on those weeks that that happens, it just so happens that's the week that I don't have anything planned. And this is just such a week because, lo and behold, uh, I'm scrolling through my uh, my Twitter feed on uh, on Tuesday. <laughs> and there uh, there is the, the most unbelievable sentence that you could imagine, that there is an, an unpublished but soon-to-be-published posthumously book by none other than Pope St. John Paul II, the Great, uh, who has as many different uh, titles as you want to give him. Uh, who who in the, in the world could imagine such a thing from someone as prominent as him that we could find, somehow find a book from him and, and be able to publish it and bring that voice back into our community? This is what's happening, and we're going to talk today with uh, the person who's helping bring that and make it a reality in the English-speaking world. We're talking with Jamie Stewart-Wolf, who is a senior editor at Ave Maria Press. Jamie, thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's a delight. Uh, I could not be more excited myself, so I'm excited to bring that to everyone else. I, I have to tell you, that my that my first response was just, incredulity. My jaw dropped. I opened up the article. I'm like, no, this can't, this can't be, this has got to be like a long forgotten piece, but you know, but no, this is a truly unpublished work that we're being brought uh, all these years later. Yeah. It's kind of astonishing actually. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, it's an, it's an editorial dream, um, but you know, right. An editor's dream, right. A new book from a dead, holy author. How, how great is that? Well, right? a, a, a dead, holy author who, who is wildly popular. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, C.S. Lewis often talked about his book, the screw tape letters as the, the best book that no one's ever read. And I, and I get the sense with John Paul II, that there's a lot of that as well. We might, we have quotes, we have things that we really like from him, but when you get into John Paul II, um, Saint, Pope John Paul II, the Great, his work can be daunting because he was a philosopher and he can get into some really difficult and dense terminology pretty quick, even all the way back with his work, Love and Responsibility. And yet this piece, which I've had the, the privilege of just perusing, I haven't really gotten a good read of it yet, but it's really quite accessible. It is, in fact, accessible. And that that was the whole other concern, right? I mean, I think people would probably be in, interested in seeing what, what uh, you know, Archbishop Watiwa's grocery list was if we had that, right? right. But, uh, but this is so much better. Uh, it's accessible and it's, it's timely in that kind of prophetic way that you just, it's, it, you know, it's hard for me not to draw the conclusion that this was somehow withheld in the divine plan until now. And that, uh, you know, it was meant for us, even though it was written, probably, uh, we're, we're not totally sure, but probably in 1966. So let's, we've been teasing people long enough. Let's tell them. This book is going to be out on Ave Maria Press. It's, I believe, already available for pre-order. Uh, yes. It's called Teachings for an Unbelieving World, and it's a beautiful catechesis on Paul's speech at the Areopagus. 
uh, yeah. that, that's the, the speech to the unknown God. It's in the book of Acts. And th- this was really uh, quite uh, enthralling to me because before I became Catholic, uh, I spent a semester abroad in Bulgaria, of all places. Um, but while I was there, we, spring break, what do you do when you live in Bulgaria? You go to Greece. And we went to Athens, and uh, I was a philosophy minor, so you have to go to the, the, uh, the Parthenon. And I was looking all over, you know, trying to find a map where I could find this, this Areopagus, this Mars Hill, where Paul gives this amazing, uh, really incarnational speech, right? He's talked right here, looking at the enculturation of the gospel, trying to find those seeds of truth, the seeds of faith, and to speak to the people in a way that they would understand and be able to receive, right? Still giving them the truth, but doing it in a way they could receive. And I looked everywhere. Uh, I finally found a map with it at the end of the trip and realized that, oh, I had actually already been there. This hill just underneath the Parthenon that overlooks the entire city, just a beautiful place. Uh, and, and something that's, as someone involved in evangelism, something that's very important for us to remember not only the message that we're speaking, but the mode with which we transmit that message. Right. It's message and method, right? And and I think uh, Archbishop Watiwa or John Paul II, St. John Paul II, um, really cracks that open here. Of course, it's filled with his own thoughts and, and uh, it reads very much like a preamble to his papacy. Mm-hmm. It's it, all those little themes, you know, faith and reason, human freedom, the dignity of the human person, spousal and redemptive love, all the, the, the importance of truth, a new evangelization. It's all there in seed form. And you see these themes in this work, knowing from our perspective, right, that a dozen years later, he'll be elected to the chair of Peter, where this becomes the theme of the church for the, the themes of the church for the next 26 plus years. So it's. Um, it's a very powerful book historically. I mean, outside the actual theological content, right? It's it's historically very interesting. And, and some of what's uh, also interesting is, so when I met the uh, Vatican representative, the, the director of their publishing house, um, and, you know, and we sort of do these professional meetings where, you know, you look at what I have and I look at what you have and we we shake hands and have a coffee or whatever and say, and say oh, isn't it nice to see you again? Um, and not necessarily with a lot of expectations that our audience will want what, you know, an Italian audience would necessarily want or maybe something as heady as an academic text really isn't necessarily right for us. But, uh, you know, he turned the page in his catalog and said, oh, and there's this, this uh, previously unpublished new work of John Paul. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Say that again? (laughs) (laughs) I said, yeah, what did you just say? And at that point, he smiled and he said, yeah, I think it's, um, I heard it was found in a drawer. Wow. And so there are two, there were actually two copies of it. There was a handwritten manuscript. Mm -hmm. And then there was also a typewritten manuscript with the addition of citations and some of the quotes may uh, fixed up and made more uh, faithful to the original text and things like that. But um, but yeah, it was pu- it was published in the original Polish 
only in October of uh, 2018. And then the Vatican published it in Italian in 2019. And we will be publishing it for the English speaking world in 2020. So, and 2020 is a great year to publish this book right. because it's the 100th anniversary of St. John Paul's birth. And that's right. May 18th. If you don't have anything to do that day, you know. Now you do. Now you do, now right. Read this book. If you're just, right. if you're just joining us, we're talking today with Jamie Stewart Wolf, who is a, an, a senior editor at Ave Maria Press. They've got this great new book by St. Pope John Paul II, the Great. Uh, I haven't figured out exactly how to say that yet. Uh, you can yeah, it's Pope Saint. It's Pope Saint. Pope John Saint. Paul. Uh, yeah. You can follow her on uh, on Twitter. I do. Uh, the handle there is at you feed them. Same thing on Facebook. I encourage you to follow Jamie and find out all that's going on. Uh, so when I read this, when I started reading this, it seemed very much to me like another work, which is published by a competitor who we won't mention today, but we'll talk, right. talk about room it later. For us room for us all. Uh, a, a book by. Um, Pope Benedict XVI called Faith in the Future, which he wrote again before his papacy, uh, wrote it about the same time. I think 68 is when that one was published, talking about what is it going to look like? What is the church going to look like in, you know, 40 years, which of course was the year 2000. Uh, and, and so you're looking at this and saying, wow, I see a lot of what he said is really applicable today. But what he was doing is he was looking at the landscape of the time and uh, specifically in the the follow-through of the Second Vatican Council and all of the cultural uh, milieu that was going on there. Uh, and I felt very much the same way as I'm reading Pope John Paul II, that there is a really strong handle based on what they saw at that time and really the reasons for the council in the first place and being able to express it for us now to look at it and say, wow, they really did identify what was ailing the world. And, and it's now up to us to take that medicine ourselves and then also be able to help apply that to our world and to our culture. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, I think uh, St. John Paul saw us all as little Pauls. Right. You know, we were called to bring the gospel to wherever it was we were traveling and, and uh, wherever it was we lived. And not necessarily to those who had a history of faith, mm -hmm. uh, those who could relate to the Judeo-Christian tradition in any way, but people who were essentially in an unbelieving state, right? right? So uh, when Paul goes to the Areopagus, well, he goes to Athens, and then they sort of drag him to the Areopagus, which is really kind of a humorous part of that whole scenario. Mm -hmm. um, they drag him up from the Agora and say, hey, you, you need to talk to our, our, our kind of you know, intellectual elite, our cultural elite, and they drag him. It's it's kind of like Bishop Barron going to Google, you know, yeah. uh, you know, they drag him up there and he uh, he then gives this whole uh, this whole basically the charisma. Mm -hmm. But it's the only sermon of Paul's that we have recorded right. uh, to Gentiles. It's you know, he's the apostle to the Gentiles, but it's the only homily, the only sermon we have recorded in the scriptures of how Paul addressed uh, you know, people who did not share Jewish faith right. um, with the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he does to enculturate what he does to relate to them and yet doesn't pull any punches. And the funny thing is, right, large, largely most, most traditions consider that that speech was an utter failure. Mm -hmm. um, he did not do well in Athens. I mean, you don't see any letters to the Athenians later on in scripture, right? Right. 
perhaps because there weren't very many of them um, who came to faith that day. But uh, John Paul takes a different viewpoint, and he sees it as a pattern for evangelization in a world Paul's world was before Christianity. And I think what John Paul is kind of saying is, well, even after Christian uh, Christian faith has has kind of run a, run its cultural course, how do we then how do we then uh, live the faith and witness to the faith in that kind of world? You know what what are the Areopaguses in our lives? What are the um, what are the altars to the unknown gods that we walk past? Uh, you know do do we do we encounter things like that? And do we use those things as it means to spread the gospel to people who wouldn't otherwise hear it? Yeah. And we're going to talk about this as we get back from the break. But one of the things that is so essential for us to do in that Paul did here uh, is to actually look for those places where he could connect. Because like Paul, we are out in our agora, out in our marketplace, and we see things that are troubling to us and disturbing to us, uh, just as he did. But the key for us as evangelists, as missionary disciples— is to look for the places of commonality and not for the places of difference. Because through those bridges of trust, that's where we can begin to truly affect people's lives. And people's lives then affect the culture. We're talking about a brand new book. I'm so excited for it. It's Teachings for an Unbelieving World. It's a brand new book by none other than Pope St. John Paul II. Uh, Going to be published on Ave Maria Press. You can pre-order it now, Ave Maria press.com. We'll be right back right after this with much more. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on daily life. I'm your host, TL. And we are, I'm so excited. We're talking about a brand new book uh, published for the first time recently, just newly discovered work that'll be published posthumously uh, in the next month, I believe, um, from Ave Maria Press by uh, Pope St. John Paul II. And it's called uh, Teachings for an Unbelieving World, Newly Discovered Reflections on Paul's Sermon at the Areopagus. And this uh, is so important to me I work in in a parish with evangelization. I care very deeply about the charisma, and and even so, it can be really hard when you are talking with people who share almost nothing with you, right? Uh, and I live in the Pacific Northwest, so that's almost everyone, right? It's easy when I lived in the Midwest. It's easy to go and talk to people who. Uh, who share some semblance of faith. They, they maybe they're in a Protestant church and you can talk about the things that you share in common because there is so much that you have that you can say, oh, well, this is how I interpret that. This is how I experience that and understand that. Here's what my faith looks like. And here are the, here's all the commonalities. And then here's the 2% that's different. But here's Paul in Athens. And he is talking to a people who are not monotheistic, they are uh, really immersed in philosophy. And, he, of course, he knows philosophy. He could go down that road, but he doesn't. He starts with the deepest desire of the human heart. Uh, and so to help us 
understand that, Pope John Paul II has written this beautiful reflection, we think around 1966. And to help us unpack that today, we're talking with Jamie Stewart-Wolf. She's a convert herself, uh, mother of eight, which I appreciate because I, as you know, have eight children at home, uh, and is a senior editor at Ave Maria Press. Jamie, thank you for joining us again. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, Paul did not look for points of contention. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, as impassioned as he was, as convinced of, of, of the gospel as he was, I mean, it uprooted his entire life. It changed the course of his entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of doing that, he's dragged up to the Areopagus and he starts off with, hey, Athenians, I see how religious you are. Right. <laughs> well, a couple of things here. He said he's setting the um, the table because he's pulling it into a re- uh, conversation about religion and not a conversation about philosophy. Right. But the other thing is, it's so easy for us, and you're on Twitter as well. You understand the tendency for us to um, be disturbed by something, which is is a natural response when we see things that are disturbing. But then to dwell in that disturbance and to to dig into that disturbance and to focus on all of those things that are uh, not common, all of the things where there are points of dissension and how easy that is, just part of human nature and how remarkable it is that uh, uh, that St. Paul, there walking through, experiencing this disturbance, finds something of commonality. And if he finds it in that much of a sense of place of disturbance, that means that he has to be looking for it. You know, how do I, what's the first point? What's the first bridge that I can build to have this conversation? Exactly. And what's, what's going to be a conversation opener rather than a shutdown moment, right? He doesn't look for those things where he says, you know, by the way, all you Athenians, you may be, you know, the greatest culture and civilization that ever existed in history, but you're really wrong about X, Y, Z, you know, and, and we do that with, you know, someone, when someone's wrong on the internet, it just is very, it throws us into tailspins sometimes, you know, and we want to get in there and, and save their soul and, you know, and help them out and, and give them the right thing. Mm-hmm. But we often don't give it to them in a way that they can even receive it. And so that's what, that's what the Apostle Paul does here, right? He meets people where they are, and he doesn't actually try to beat them at their own game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really doesn't. And he doesn't seem to come out of Athens with a whole lot of new converts, but there are some important ones there. there uh, you know, Dionysius the Areopagite, you know, I mean, I think about having a name like Dionysius and now being a, a follower of Christ, you know, it's kind of kind of crazy, uh, named after a pagan god. Um, well, and, and yet... And anytime that we're given the names in scripture mm-hmm. of people, it's because the audience knew those knew people. Right. Right. He didn't say, oh, and 5,000 were added to their number that day. He said, these are the names of the people because you know them. And so now you have a context for how they came into the church. Exactly. He's telling their story as well as his own, right? You know, the, the uh, Luke, Luke is telling uh, their story as well. So you have Dionysius and you have, uh, you know, Damaris, you have a, a man and a woman who both come to faith this day, but it doesn't look like he's very successful. You know, he, he approaches them, he, he notices uh, as his walk through the Agora, he sees an altar, you know, inscribed to an unknown God. Mm-hmm. And I think you can stop right there. Yeah. 
is to notice, I mean, just think about our own culture, right? How many temples do we have built to unknown gods? They're everywhere. I mean, idolatry is everywhere. That's why it's the first commandment, right? right. Um, but uh, but in any rate, let's get that one right first and all the rest will follow. And it, it, it tends to work that way. But when we look for the altars of the unknown gods in our own culture and, and our own time in history, that those things may in fact be the points of connection. Let me just offer, because everyone's going to recognize this immediately, and we, we tend to hear this phrase and we respond to it in a visceral way, but our temple today, our, our shrine to the unknown God can be summed up in these words. I'm spiritual, but not religious. Oh, yes. I have a hunger for something that I don't understand, and I don't want to tie it to anything known, so I'm just going to generally throw it out to the universe and see where that worship sticks. And so when we hear that term, we can get really upset and say, well, that's really not possible. Or like Paul, we can recognize, ah, here is a place to start. Exactly. So if you're spiritual, tell me what that's like for you. Mm -hmm. If you're spiritual, tell me how you experience that, how you practice that. Is there uh, is there, are there things you do or don't do because of that? Mm-hmm. Are there uh, people you hang with because of that right. or don't hang with because of that? And, you know, what's, what's been your experience? Who is your God? Right. Who is your God? And can you know him? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that the, I always feel like maybe the best question to ask, you know, to ask people, but I hope, I hope we Catholics and, and Christians would answer it uh, well, would be, you know, are, are you happy about life? Are you, have you found some happiness? Have you found some joy? Uh, if you're happy with your life the way it is, well, that's good. You probably won't make a change. Right. Well, and let's, let's, not, let's move from Paul for a second back to John Paul, because what Paul, what John Paul does here, uh, St. Pope, Pope St. John Paul II, I've got, I'm going to get that right one of these days. Uh, he shows us he reads us the story, shows us the story. We read through it with him. And then he says, okay, let's go down to the microcosm. Let's look at the very smallest level and recognize what's going on here. Recognize the deep yearning in every heart for the infinite. And let's say, let's say that that right there, let's say that they do not worship God or that they worship many gods, as was the case with the Greeks. Mm -hmm. Let's recognize the good thing that that is. And that's hard for us to say, oh, it's so good that you worship many gods. But what's good there is that they recognize the hunger for the infinite and that they are attempting in some way to approach that. And so to start with recognizing how a person was made, what a person is, looking at free will, looking at uh, rationality, and building this personalist theology, which, by the way, is where he goes with the theology of the body. A lot of people think that that's a, you know, that's a whole thing about sexuality and no, it's the thing about who the person is. And by virtue of that, that includes sexuality. Uh, And so here you have, as you said, the seeds of all the work that's going to come later in his pontificate as he unfolds for us a new way of looking at how Paul evangelizes and calling us to then repeat that pattern by having these thoughts, by um, understanding what's going on in the narrative so that we can begin to 
act in a way that Paul acted. Right. And, and I think, you know, he, he used this as a guideline, as a, as a, as a pattern for his own evangeliz- evangelization efforts. You know, he's a Pope who went out to the world, mm-hmm. out like no Pope before him ever had. And unfortunately the papal schedule is really full because of him, you know, uh, it, it'd be a little hard to go back to a Pope who just stayed in Rome uh, at this point in history. But, you know, I think the beautiful thing here too, is that he, he notes at one point in the text that it is possible, it is probable that Paul did not win many converts that day because of the disagreement about the human person. Yeah. And basically, so when we talk about theology of the body or we talk about incarnational theology, we talk about the dignity of the human person, we talk about how people are, uh, you know, basically on a search for the truth and how they are, uh, you know, how they want to be free, truly free, and how love is both spousal and redemptive and all of that. We're really getting at the core of the conversation as it must be held in our day. Yeah. We need to have the conversation about the human person, and that will lead us to opportunities to open the door to uh, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, and real briefly, let's let's. This is so important today because there is a vast disagreement about the person, uh, and it's everywhere from the questions of of gender to orientation to all of these things center on a question and a disagreement about who we are as humans. And it's good and right that each of us recognize that there is disagreement and that there is an Areopagus with all of these different shrines to different uh, ideologies and different gods. But we have to approach the conversation about who the human person is the same way that Paul did, by saying, let's talk about what we agree Let's just start with this. I agree that you have incomparable dignity and that no one should be able to take that away from you. Let's just start there and let's build relationship uh, because as a, a former pastor of mine used to say back when I was Protestant, rebuke without relationship breeds rebellion. So we can sit here all day long and shame people, but until we have relationship with them, we can never invite them and draw them out into the abundance of the divine life. Yeah, exactly. But the beautiful thing about John Paul is that he was always able to affirm the the image of God in every person he encountered, right? In crowds and in individuals and in young and old and sick, it, 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 no matter who these people were or who you were, it, it was the first order of business with him was to affirm your dignity as a, as a child of God and as the image of God. And we might say, you know, well, let's not get distracted about the, with the image. Let's just go, go for the jugular, you know, go for the whole gospel here. Let's talk Jesus Christ. But if the image is true, the image will lead to what it's an image of. Yeah. The human person does lead us to God. Properly understood, the human person leads us to God. We're talking today with Jamie Stewart Wolf about the book. Teachings for an Unbelieving World, newly discovered reflections on Paul's sermon at the Areopagus. It's available for pre-order now at Ave Maria Press. Run, don't walk, and order it now. I'm so excited because when we come back, we're going to read just a little bit of this new book by Pope St. John Paul II, Teachings for an Unbelieving World, newly discovered reflections on Paul's sermon at the Areopagus. 
Don't go anywhere. There is so much more right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. And man, oh man, is this just the show of a lifetime. I've been so enjoying the topic, and I can't wait to bring you what's next. We've been talking today with Jamie Stewart-Wolf, who is uh, a senior editor over at Ave Maria Press, AveMariaPress.com. You can find her on Facebook and on Twitter. I follow her there. At you feed them, the whole word, all three words, Y-O-U-F-E-E-D-T-H-E-M, you feed them. And I'm not exactly sure if that's in reference to the fact that she has eight kids, because as a parent of eight, you definitely feel like that's most of what you do, right? You feed them. Uh, But it it also, I think, is going to probably reference the fact that she is presenting us with uh, this spiritual nourishment through books, and this book in particular uh, is just one that is worth uh, the read. Uh, I had the the pleasure she sent me a copy so that I could read it ahead of time uh, on PDF, and I've just been devouring it, and it's it's fantastic. This this newly discovered work from uh, from Carol Watiwa, Pope Saint John Paul II, um, and it's a, a catechesis using Paul's sermon at the Areopagus. Uh, and so we're going to actually read a little bit of that to you today. It's probably one of the more accessible writings uh, from John Paul the Great. Uh, and so I'm, I look forward to sharing with you. But I also want to share something else with you. Uh, each and every week, I have an extra segment. We go a little bit longer in the interview. Uh, and this one is definitely worth the extra. Uh, and the extra goes to those people who support the show through Patreon. We've got a great community of people who love the show, want to see it stay on the air, And you can join that community for as little as $5 a month. Uh, we got a couple of different tier levels and a couple of different levels of rewards that you would get. Uh, But even at that early level, you get each and every weekly segment. So that's uh, at least four segments a month for $5 a month. I encourage you to go over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Up in the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll find the Patreon link. Click that link, follow the directions. And after you do that... Find this week's episode and share it. Share it on social media. Let people far and wide know about this new book. It's going to be published by Ave Maria Press. And now let's take a little bit of time and we're going to dive into it. We're going to hear the words that have sat in a drawer for years. This new book, Teachings for an Unbelieving World, newly discovered reflections on Paul's sermon at the Areopagus. Chapter 10, Receive the Holy Spirit. And here we are, together with Paul at the Areopagus of Athens. On that day when the apostle tried to bring his listeners closer to the truth about the unknown God, to the God they worship without knowing, it would have been impossible to foresee the consequences of that apparently failed encounter. These would only manifest themselves later in the gradual development of events. If we now refer to that moment in the Acts of the Apostles, as has been said before, we do it from the perspective of our era and its specific problems. They seem to be two very distant worlds. The world at the end of the second millennium after Christ is completely different from the ancient one. 
and in many respects incomparable. How much more penetrated by the ingenuity of the human mind, how much more subordinated and mastered by humankind in various fields, conquered and appropriated by all that humankind has achieved in the field of science, technology, and civilization. Here we should refer to the Second Vatican Council and in particular to the pastoral constitution Gaudium et Spes. At the beginning of this document, there is a summary of the, quote, situation of men in the modern world, end quote. The summary speaks to the conditions of human existence that have undergone many changes, and it frames these changes in the social, psychological, moral, as well as religious spheres, taking into consideration the inequalities, contradictions, and imbalances characteristic of our age. Undoubtedly, the conviction grows not only that humanity can and should increasingly consolidate its control over creation, but even more that it devolves on humanity to establish a political, social, and economic order, which will growingly serve man and help individuals as well as groups to affirm and develop the dignity proper to them. Typical of the contemporary world are multiple demands— Beneath all these demands lies, according to the Council, a deeper and more widespread longing. Persons and societies thirst for a full and free life worthy of man, one in which they can subject to their own welfare all that the modern world can offer them so abundantly. The Council confronts these demands, which are just in themselves, in a realistic way with the imbalances under which the modern world labors. These are linked with that more basic imbalance, which is rooted in the heart of man, within the human being. He suffers from internal divisions, and from these flow so many and such great discords in society. Since all these things are so, the modern world shows itself at once powerful and weak, capable of the noblest deeds or the foulest. The task of the human being is to guide aright the forces which he has unleashed and which can enslave him or minister to him. The Council observes the situation of the world from the human perspective, the multiple imbalances under which the modern world labors. The Council looks through the inner contradiction that is in humankind. From the beginning, the world was subjected and entrusted to humankind. Therefore, the human being shapes this world according to his abilities, his genius, but also on the basis of that contradiction that is within him. What the Bible calls the sin of the world accompanies human history from the beginning. It has put its roots into the human being, and from him it spreads ever further. The Church firmly believes that Christ, who died and was raised up for all, can, through his Spirit, offer man the light and the strength to measure up to his supreme destiny. In the teaching of Vatican II, we find at every step expressions that bear witness to this faith. The world, created and sustained by its Maker's love, is fallen indeed into the bondage of sin, yet emancipated now by Christ, who is crucified and rose again to break the stranglehold of personified evil, so that the world might be fashioned anew according to God's design, and reach its fulfillment. What the Church of our time affirms through the Council 
constitutes the church's message of faith since the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Peter was the first to proclaim this faith on behalf of all the apostles gathered in the cynical. The same truth was announced by Paul of Tarsus at the Athenian Areopagus, taking into account the mentality of those who listened to him there. Although the ways of bearing witness to Christ in Peter's kerygma in Jerusalem and Paul's in Athens are different, the substance of their content remains the same, as does their objective. Repent. Metanoiete. To repent means to enter into the life-giving mystery of Christ. Draw from it. In him, God so loved the world. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. To save the world, to redeem humankind, Christ takes upon himself in the sacrifice of the cross the sin of the world that weighs on the history of humanity. He takes sin, going back to its primordial dimension in the mystery of human origins. He conquers the evil sin by becoming sin for our sake, just as he overcomes death with his own death. The first words that Jesus speaks to the apostles after the resurrection confirm this. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. That reading comes from just a small portion of a brand new book uh, coming out. I, I know that we always read a document of the church, but I feel that this really, in a very significant way, is a document of the church. Uh, because while it is a new book, it's being published next month in English. Uh, it is written by Pope St. John Paul II. Uh, who at the time of the writing was still a cardinal. Uh, this is before he was elected to the papacy. Uh, the book is called Teachings for an Unbelieving World, Newly Discovered Reflections on Paul's Sermon at the Areopagus. Go and pre-order it right now. You can do that over at AveMariaPress.com. And this book in in John Paul the Great's typical style is very methodical. He He takes this thing and he lets us ruminate on it over the course of, uh, of several chapters. And takes us step-by-step through the process of getting this really developed idea of the dignity of the person and what it means for us to be human. And then from there, how our humanity is meant to really be in communion with the divine life, to be sharers in the divine nature as we read in 2 Peter. So this book is so great because it gives us a pattern to recognize what Paul recognized there in Athens, that we have to do more than just provide the answers from our own experience. We have to be able to communicate to our audience. And so this is a great meditation for you and for me as we seek to be missionary disciples, to help us take into account the dignity of the human person and to help us communicate what it means to be human to a society around us that has largely forgotten what it means to be human. And there, from that place of shared humanity, there, from that bridge of trust, there is the place that we can begin to share Christ and his redemptive work. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening. I really do want you to go out and get this book. You're going to love it. Today's show was brought to you by all of those who support the show through Patreon, especially Richard Jones. We could not do it without you. Why don't you join that support community by going to OutsideTheWalls.com and clicking the Patreon link. 
And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.